Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that we unwrap the science of interpersonal relationships in a usable and friendly way. And we want to spread the word as far and wide as possible because we're really passionate about it. And to that end, I want to remind you guys, we have a live conference in Austin, Texas that we are inviting any and all to. It is by the co-author of the book, Attachment Disturbances in Adults. His name is David Elliott. I think it's going to be an awesome conference and chocked full of great information. And that conference is April 7th. Early discount tickets are available right now. You can go to www.therapistuncensored.com and click on the events tab. And for those of you that can't make the conference, or maybe you're coming to the conference and you want to be better prepared, we're very excited that we're going to be adding a second online reading group. So we have one running now. It's going great, but it's full, and we've had many requests for people who'd like to join, so we've decided to start another one. If you join the reading group, you'll be meeting with like-minded peers from all over, and you'll get to talk about attachment and the treatment of attachment. So how fun is that? So again, check out the events page on www.therapistuncensored.com. In today's episode, my co-host Sue Marriott and our guest Robin Goble have a really in-depth and interesting discussion about trauma, about trauma, complex trauma, especially in children. Robin is a child and family therapist here in Austin, Texas. She is the founder of the Central Texas Attachment and Trauma Center. And she specializes in adoption, trauma, and attachment counseling. So not only does she work directly with families, she also is is an excellent mentor for therapists in their own work with children that have complex trauma, and especially children that are highly dysregulated or who are completely shut down, which we know, if you're a listener, is also a form of dysregulation. Anyway, I think you're going to find this episode really lively and chocked full of insights. Let's get started. Hey, welcome, Robin. Well, thanks, you. It's awesome <laughs> to be here. Uh, we have got Robin Goble live in the studio today. And, you know, we got to thinking about it. And we've been going now for some time, a little over a year, and talking a ton about science and the science of relationships and attachment. But we haven't talked yet very much about trauma, which I can't believe we haven't gotten to yet. So part of why we invited Robin in is that this is an area of specialty for her. So there we go. We're going to talk about trauma and complex trauma and kids and parenting mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. you're in for a treat. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> so why don't we get started with like, you know, these days everybody's like, oh God, that was so traumatic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a, it's a common term, but what is trauma? Well, I, th- I mean, I do think trauma is kind of, you know, in the eye of the beholder. Kind of like pornography. Sure, exactly. <laughs> Sexual imagery. Yeah, that's it. Se- that's, right? that's correct. That's, that's a new, correct. That's, I learned that from <laughs> listening to your podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, what's traumatic for one person might not necessarily be traumatic. And, and I think what I'm, I mean by that is, is there like a residue of traumatic symptoms there's some agreement about like an experience that would be considered traumatic. And what does that look like or sound like? 
you know, something where a person is there, you know, their safety is in question, they're overwhelmed, they can't make sense of what's going on. A lot of time they're, they're alone. Something really scary. That's right. Yeah. Actually, in the DSM four, I think they talk about horror, mm-hmm. the experience of horror, mm-hmm. or, or losing your life or someone yeah. close to you losing their life. Yes. Like it's not small stuff. Right. And that's changing, I think, just as an aside. And as in the DSM-5, they're really going to take on the issue of complex trauma, which we'll get at. Right. But that's different than somebody's jumping up and saying boo and someone saying, that was traumatic. Sure. Being afraid. Being afraid. Um, versus, you know, having experienced a trauma. Although I do think it's really important that we just meet people with the language that they're using. You know, yeah. somebody came and said, I experienced that as traumatic. Then, you know, if nothing else, I want to be tra- super curious about the use of such a really big word and believe that that must mean something to them. Absolutely. And so for me, it's about just, you know, difficulty in integrating the experience and make sense of the experience and, and kind of even neurobiologically what we understand about what integration even means. And then looking at what are the challenges or the symptoms that this person is having and that's right. And so you brought up the neurobiology of it, which is great, because that's all that is definitely a way that we think of it mm-hmm. as it's a it's kind of an encapsulated experience that isn't so that when we think of it, often, there's we have these kinds of arousal mm-hmm. that is different than just something bad that has happened, right? It's more of like falling into a pocket, right. where that we begin to feel what we felt, or yeah. we really avoid right. going anywhere near it. Something that will um, trigger that. That's yeah. right. So that's the avoidance or the intrusion, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. is kind of the sort of the general idea. Yeah, I think just about how what well, we know or understand or believe yeah. we know in 2018 about yeah. <laughs> just like memory processing and, you know, when that the implicit and the explicit just aren't allowed the ability to integrate in the way we would want them to. And then all that implicit residue just remains and come, can become activated and really take you over in the here and now That's, as if it's happening again right now. And, you know, it makes me think about how the body protects us yeah. and that the only reason that that happens is that it's over, it's an overwhelming experience. Right. And so the body kind of fragments mm-hmm different pieces of it in order to survive absolutely and make sense of it and so when they see you later Mm -hmm. in life Mm -hmm. and therapists in general that work with trauma including myself that some of the task is is to begin to put these pieces that are split Mm -hmm. and that might be the memory of it Mm -hmm. or I might remember it entirely, but don't feel, feel a lot it. about it. I t- yep. I can show you a PowerPoint. <laughs> yep, yep, bullets. Yep, <laughs> um, but it doesn't feel like anything. But, yeah. Right. Or yeah. we do things behaviorally that we don't understand, so it comes out in. Or and then the last one is sensations. So sometimes our body will have physical sensations that we don't get, and that's a sign sometimes of you know one of the split off mm-hmm. affective parts that the body mm-hmm. is you know, gratefully yes. protecting us from and yeah. with the right care and support, we can begin to put those things back together. Yep. Yeah. It's all like a jigsaw puzzle in some ways. Like I visualize these pieces are all there and they're kind of floating around and they all match. They just are not connected. Mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what about then complex trauma? What does that mean exactly? I think about complex trauma in terms of like 
ongoing repeated trauma in my practice and the population I work with, it's almost always in the context of relationship. So often in, again, in my population, it's not the hurricane, it's not the tornado that knocked down your house, right? Natural disasters, right? Right. Right. It's the kind of repeated ongoing what someone might call like little T traumas that happen over and over and over again, or even the lack of something or the lack of an experience that we should be having when we're small. And so the the absence of or the missing of something relationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gets really tricky to treat because there's mm-hmm. nothing to point to often. Right. I kind of think of it as like the drip method, you know, or Mm -hmm. it's so, it's just what we're used to. Mm -hmm. So we don't, a lot of times even know that something that serious has happened to us. So what is your interest in complex trauma? Why is this an area that you've really studied? Well, I've always, for whatever reason, just been really drawn to working, especially with kids and families who have been really hurt um, that led me to being interested in working with adoptive families. And then I found this overlap and that I do work with families who have adopted kids at birth. The vast majority of the families that I work with have adopted kids after like internationally after orphanage care, after, you know, repeated moves or after like really extreme neglect or deprivation, and then just like growing, growing fascination and how these earliest experiences have left the imprint that they've left and really wanting to like value and honor that and put it into context with whatever challenges or behaviors we're seeing with kids in the here and now, you know, also still holding on to like, that doesn't have to be a death sentence. So we don't need to look at the complex trauma and say like, oh, well, it's just, it is what it is. We can't do anything about it. It was so terrible. You know, trying to merge those two pieces together of honoring it while also saying, and here's what we do. Yeah, that's yeah. so great. I'm so glad you said that because it's it's often that it's, you know, as you begin to study this, I think of Alan Shore in particular, you know, we're really good at now um, with the science these days and the research at documenting the neurological effects of all these things that you're speaking of. Yep. And, and sometimes the permanency of them. Yeah. And I know I've experienced where that I'm reading about it and understanding it and trying to put things together and it can get very depressing and can lead to a feeling of hopelessness as you really understand the biology, but that's not at all our message. And that's not the whole story at all. Right. Um, Absolutely not. And I think it's been fun. I don't, this is a fun time to be a therapist, I think, and all of this information that we're getting and understanding that I think can be so validating to people's struggles while also saying, but there's so much that we can do. Like we can change the brain and we can change the relationship. We can, tra- you know, we can change these things all the way up until the end. Right. You, know? you just get into the grave. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you can still have neuroplasticity. <laughs> right. And that's really one of the biggest reasons I love working with families, with young kids. And I love working with adoptive families that there's, we have this opportunity when kids are so small still to like lay some groundwork or, you know, make some shifts in a time where they're, you know, cared for and have a community or have 
this is harder with adults at times that don't have a real strong network or they're maybe not in a relationship or not partnered that they're that can feel harder. That is such a great point. And you know, so many therapists are really scared to work with little kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, for many re- good reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is such a great point that I hadn't thought of. Um, you know, just kind of like when you work with a couple early on, uh-huh. there is, uh, you don't have all the stuff you're having to undo. Right. And you're right. Working with adults, you know, this has been decades. Yes. Versus a six year old. Yeah. Uh, which, you do real little ones. Yeah. The little, I love the little ones, the littler, the better. And, you know, and I can support their families and care for their families. And then, you know, the giving that gives the opportunity for them to care and support for their little ones. And for that to occur still when they're small and in a family and in this safe place can really be uh, profound. And sometimes it's not always obvious. You know, sometimes I just have to have a, a lot of hope that this matters right now that when this kiddo is older when they when they are partnered or when they are married or when they all have you know, they do have families that's in there we can excavate it do you do extended sessions like long sessions or anything or I've frequent run, sessions or i i mean i run a tip a pretty typical 55 mm-hmm. minute session mm-hmm. um i work i'm really involved with families though so sometimes that session's only parents sometimes we're all together it, it varies, but I run, I run pretty traditional 55-minute mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sessions. I was just imagining as I was sort of sinking into that, just wanting to fill these kids up. and But at the same time, you know, it's, you know, how much can you absorb in one setting? Well, and that's why I work so closely with families, because an hour a week of therapy with a kiddo with the history that these kids have is... I mean, it's better than nothing. Right, right. No, but that's I work, tough. yeah, that's I mean, tough. I work so closely with families because I have the ability to really support their parents in a way that they can provide essentially a therapeutic environment for them. The, you know, and then that amplifies the impact yeah. times a Absol- thousand. Right? You no, know, I really believe like kids heal inside families, inside the relationships that are inside their you know, attachment relationships inside their family. And so if I can, if I can get in there and get in with that and, and help that, that's absolutely what I want to do. That's fantastic. I mean, how effective. And it makes me think of a very recent question that we got from one of our audience members in the Ask a Therapist portal. Mm -hmm. And I don't have that, the first name of that person that sent that in in front of me. But the question was, and it gets to what you're talking about, is that some people have been listening and began to become aware, whether you're in therapy or through this, whatever yep. format of, um, I'll just be, I'll just transfer this to talking about myself. So as I become aware of my own history and how mm-hmm. my own history mm-hmm. and the pain of my history that I haven't put together yet, because yep. right, it's fractured. Right. And I begin to put this together and then I begin to see how that it's being reenacted with my child. Yeah. And what you're saying, I think, is that by really supporting parents and doing that work with them in combination and, you know, on behalf of the child. Right. But I bet that it's a common experience, this question from the audience member, of that it's, even if it's adoption or what have you, that the trauma might be multi-generational. And I know that that's of interest. Sure. Well, absolutely. I mean, even in an adoptive family you know, adoptive parents are coming with their own history. And in some ways, it's even more complicated because our biological children, like attachment patterns, are they're kind of designed to 
match up with ours. Right, right. Um, but we're bringing these two totally different systems and putting right. them together, and there can definitely be some fireworks. But yeah, absolutely. We, I'll, I mean, it's just about how the trauma is stored in the body and this in, these implicit ways that we kind of move through the world based on our history and, you know, developing some awareness about what those are and how they happened and why they came to be and developing compassion for that. And I think that's, I hope that's one of the biggest places of impact I have with my families is helping parents find like their compassion for themselves Mm -hmm. as they start to notice oh, this is hard for me, or oh, because of my history, this is hard for me, or the awareness is important, but we can't do anything with that until we can develop some, you know, some care and holding and some compassion for that. And that's a much more effective way for me to intervene with a family system than to spend 55 minutes alone with a child every week. Oh, it's just so smart and brilliant. And fortunately, and we'll reference this again at the end of the podcast, Robin offers some webinars Mm -hmm. and things like that for parents. So if you're listening and your ears are perked up, just stay tuned because we'll certainly get to that. So you're speaking of self-compassion and it is such a key. And uh, again, as an aside, there is a podcast that we, where we interviewed Kristen Neff Mm -hmm. early on. So uh, again, those of you that are listening, they're like, uh, I need some of that. Yeah. <laughs> and who doesn't? We all. <laughs> um, besides the interview itself being really good, that it's it's packed full of resources about self-compassion yeah. that are free and accessible. So be yeah. sure and check that out. But I love what you're saying because, you know, typically when we screw up with our kids, mm-hmm. which happens, uh-huh. anybody. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Every yeah, me day. too. Yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> That we can either, I mean, there's lots of things we can do with that, but particularly if we have complex history, yes, then we might want to deny that that happened yep. or maybe beat ourselves up about yep. that happening. Yeah. And this offers something else to do where that you're really acknowledging it and taking responsibility for it, yes. but that it has to come with care. Yeah. Well, that's the magic elixir. equation it's right the elixir, there, right? right? That like... Everybody messes up. I mess up all the time. I mean, I could probably list five things. I've only seen my kid for like five minutes today. (laughs) But I mean, we're always misattuning and messing up or feeling stressed or or whatever. And the ability to notice and tolerate it and then go back and like repair that is far more important than actually like attempting to be perfect or... Totally. Always get it right. And I think what you're saying is if we're compassionate about that, we're going to yeah. be much more in shape absolutely. to be able to d- take the responsibility yes. and do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. It also makes me think of couples. So like when you, for example, if you saw your husband mm-hmm. screaming at the kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you speak at all to that? Like what about that probably very common scenario where yes. one, somebody's dysregulated and somebody's not? Right. Well, I mean, I've just had a conversation about this that... In an ideal situation, we get to the point with our partners where we we believe in our core that if our partner is intervening, it's because they care about us and they really want to be helpful. Not that they, you know, want to usurp our authority or be critical, but that we're that we're on the same team and that we are both vulnerable to messing up or to losing our cool or getting really dysregulated and. I mean, I would say that's been true for me personally. Like when I finally was able to believe that like, 
if my husband comes in to say like, whoa, <laughs> tag, you're out. Like, right. why did you let me take over? Mm-hmm. That that's coming from a place of compassion in him that mm-hmm. he's not judging me for quote unquote messing up. It's right. about like, whoa, you need help. You need help here. I'm feeling calmer. I can help you. Mm-hmm. And and that I have to believe that. Like I have to believe it's coming from a place. What if of you compassion. don't believe that? What if because of your history, you're already a little dysregulated with your child, he comes in and you're not necessarily experiencing that yet, that it's sure. on, on your behalf. Um, are there any tips for the partner that is wanting to help mm-hmm. where that they've lost a little contact? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts about that? Well, I think it's helpful to talk about it ahead of time, like to find a neutral space to be like, hey, when I'm losing my cool, this is this would be helpful, or I need to hear this, or... And to to make arrangements and agreements about how how you're going to intervene, whether it be like a, you know, tap on the shoulder or some sort of hand gesture or even the words that you say, like, it might be really helpful to hear certain specific words from your spouse before they say, yes, (laughs) take you out. (laughs) Um, I love that is, you know, make it paint by numbers. Yeah. Tell tell (laughs) people what you need. Yes. (laughs) Ask for it. That's awesome. Yeah. And then be compassionate with yourself, too. You might still be angry in the moment and even lash out at your partner, but then cool off and reconvene and try again next time. You know, something that I find useful, too, around that is the if you come in intervening, Mm -hmm. that that's going to be a lot more stimulating Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard. It's a hard ball to catch. Mm hmm. Versus if you come in, like, let's say you've just yelled at the kids or whatever. Uh-huh. If I could come in with that compassion that you're missing yep. for you, not yeah. for the kids. Yeah. And that's a really tricky thing because you're actually feeling protective of the yep. kids. Yep. But if we can be PhD level mm-hmm. neuro nerds here, right, 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 right. <laughs> then we bypass the protection of the kids and we go towards regulating the yes. partner yeah and so the hug it's like you can feel it right? right when it's like you can see you're a good mom and you're not at your best right and i want to support you right. because i can see that your battery's low you help right so if, yeah. if you're where i want to charge the battery versus if i'm you know right getting in between you and the kids and like don't talk to them this way or exactly that's not going to help you Right. No, Calm that's down. not usually helpful. No, I mean, it makes me think like about how I talk with parents about their kids, you know, this idea of like, we almost have to have x-ray vision into what's really going on. Like you're seeing this behavior that feels terrible. But if I can teach you enough about about the brain and about dysregulation and what's really going on that's driving this terrible behavior, then compassion can emerge because it's not about the bad behavior. It's about, oh, this person's really struggling, really hurting. People only act this way when they're really hurting, whether that be your spouse or your kid. And so if we can kind of have x-ray vision into like what's going on inside that's causing this and respond to that. I love that. I think that's really great. And x-ray visioning the child too, yeah. when the child is uh, dysregulated. And, yeah. you know, it's it's when they're acting the worst that they really need us to x-ray vision. Absolutely. Um, because obviously something's up. Yes. They're not bad kids. Right. Um, no, I, I really, I think that's a really nice way of saying it. And again, you can hear as Robin's talking, the compassion, this happens to everybody. We're all in this together. 
let's figure it out together. And when we're not in a place to receive that, you know, again, I like the idea of like, let's go through if you're not, you know, what are, what is our plan so Mm -hmm. that we can, you know, more effectively tag team and stuff like that. It also made me think of another thing around that depending on the attachment type, the kinds of mistakes we make will be different. But in particular, this gets kind of complex, but it has to do with information processing and systems, right? That there are some people that will, can tell you exactly how to parent and that they're really good at it and they could answer every test correct, you know, test question correctly mm-hmm. and sound really good most of the time and mm-hmm. know what to do mm-hmm. that then get triggered mm-hmm. and all of that flies out the window yeah. and they're doing exactly what they know they shouldn't be doing. Right. And that's, that's a large portion, you know, compared to maltreating parents. Right. is a, a different animal. Right. So probably because statistically it's just true that most people are, I kind of know what to do, but mm-hmm. I lose, I lose that. Again, we think of it from an information processing system that you're using different information because you're triggered and there's more of the fight flight and the threat. And that's why we need the compassion is to move us into a, a wider information processing part of our minds right. where we can hold it all yeah, and, and still respond. And, well, and respond to what's actually happening right here in right. front of me as opposed to the flood of helplessness or hopelessness or overwhelm or, you know, that's getting evoked inside that pulls us away from what's actually even happening right here in front of me. I think that's great. And you do a lot of work with parents Mm -hmm. in particular and Mm -hmm. and little kids, as we've said, are the things we could deliver today that Mm -hmm. you could let people know, like, here are a couple of things I've learned in Mm -hmm. my practice and all my study and adoption Mm -hmm. and in um, trauma. Are there some takeaways that you would really want to get across to people? I think a huge takeaway we've we just really covered about this space of recognizing that every single one of us in any exact moment is just doing the best that we can. And that's our kids and that's us. And, you know, when we can come to a space of really believing that, then I think that really opens up one, our compassion and two, our curiosity about like what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Why is, why has this disintegrated to this place? And, and, and again, when that curiosity and that compassion kind of opens up, then that's when I think we have the ability to one, just make an authentic repair and two, make some actual, you know, inner changes in our nervous system that mm-hmm. allows, you know, change to be long-term. Yeah, and that makes me think, too, of shame, <clears throat> of shame mm-hmm. and how big a component that is often with trauma, but particularly complex trauma, because as you said, it's more interpersonally, it's more likely to be interpersonally based. I don't mean to keep plugging some of our podcasts, but the one we just interviewed Steve Finn, who Mm -hmm. talked in depth about healthy shame and not enough shame and all the forms of shame in episode 51, I believe it was. So if if anybody's sitting there listening and feeling badly or guilty about some of their parenting, Mm -hmm. I think that's a good one to tap into because it's doing exactly what you're telling us to do, which is some of what he talks about is like moving from shame to guilt. Right. So yeah, if we've done something that we should feel badly about in our parenting, right? Or even if the child has done something that they should be ashamed of, uh-huh. that you know that that still needs to be addressed. This isn't just coddle, coddle, coddle. Exactly. No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Like with the finding and helping parents realize this kind of balance of 
what I might call like structure nurture that oh, structure nurture. Say more yeah, about that. We're going to bat if we're too over accommodating or we're too kind of quote unquote nurturing. And I can see that with my population with parents who are parenting really hurt kids like, Oh, their, their past has been so bad or, or they start to understand the trauma and they, they swing to like, Oh, they just can't help it. Or, you know, and then they lose what I would call structure that there's, there's just too much, oh, this is just so sad they can't help it and no kind of raising the bar and helping them, you know, move to their highest potential, really. And then the opposite can be true. We can have way too much structure, way too much do this, do this, do this, way too little, way too little nurturing and compassion. And that isn't a good equation either. But when we can balance both. I love the term. I think it's really useful. And that excuse, you know, understanding behavior isn't excusing it, right? Like we can totally understand what's driving it because then we know what to do. When I'm searching for like, why is this happening? Why is it, you know, what was happening? What was dysregulating? Or let's, let's, let's look at this, the environment or see, you know, was it too overstimulating? Was it too loud? Was it too, like, there's so many reasons a kid could be on the edge of being dysregulated. It's not about, oh, well, they just couldn't help it. It's about, okay, well, when we understand what's going on, then we can attempt to make some shifts and attempt to support this kid in a better way. And if nothing else, avoid going at them in a sh- from a shaming stance. Because if we understand why somebody's acting a certain way or behaving a certain way, we're much less likely to go at them with shame. But I just watch kids and parents' shames dance with each other, right? Like complex trauma is, shame is inherent in that. And so if we match up a kiddo with complex trauma with a parent with a history of their own trauma, their shame just like <laughs> meets together in the room and has this oh, so fireworks mm-hmm. party. Well, I really like this notion of the structured nurturance, partly because, let's say, especially if the child has behavioral issues, uh-huh. and, you know, I'm wanting to be a good parent, yep. but, you know, they act out pub- in public uh-huh. or whatever. My capacity to, like, I shouldn't just understand this is what you're saying. I'm just kind of saying it uh-huh. again, but because not only, like, is not, that not giving them the live feedback right. about socialization and and how to get along in the world and help them be more likable, which is good. But also just, I can't handle that too long, Yeah, you know? And so it's protective of the parent Uh of like, we we do need the structure to all get along and that the parents get to need that. Yes. Yeah. And kids need that, you know, like to be in a family where there isn't structure, there's not boundaries or expectations or mutual understanding would be in itself traumatic. That's right. It would feel very scary. Kind of mergy. Yes. So, and that can be a really tough balance. It's a, you know, for all sorts of reasons, it's, it's a really tough balance, but I, yeah, I emphasize really strongly to families and we're not, I'm not asking you to give them a, a free pass. Like let's understand what's going on. You know, the same, it's the same when your car breaks down. Like, I've got to know why it's not working, (laughs) or I could fix five different things and it could still not work. Maybe it just needed gas. Maybe that's why it wasn't going anymore. (laughs) It could be a very simple problem, but we have to know why. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to, we, we might change the behavior in the moment, but we're not going to do anything long term. That's great. 
That's really great. And does anything else come to mind about things that you sort of takeaways that if there's a listener that is in a a situation like this Mm -hmm. that you would want them to know? Well, I think the next thing that just kind of popped into my mind, which I suppose is similar to what we said, but this ability to depersonalize what's happening. And that's true about any like relational experience, right? (laughs) Totally. Um, Oh, it's, but, not, it's not about me? What do you mean? What? <laughs> but with parenting in general, right? Like parenting is so personal and so scary and so vulnerable and so wide open for judgment in our culture and our society. And we have this belief that the way our children behave, you know, is, is, is like a report card for how good of a parent we are. And absolutely none of those things are true. (laughs) I'm totally experiencing that right now. I'm re-experiencing it. My kids are old, Uh, you know, they're teenagers now. So that part's, that's good. But, um, I just got a puppy and (laughs) yes, Mm -hmm. he has very bad behavior. Yes. Uh, he's only three months old. So of course he does. Right. But, uh, but I, I even feel it about that. Like, Oh, I'm a terrible puppy parent, (laughs) you know, right. This totally reflects on me. Right. As opposed to like, he's doing his puppy thing. Yes. He's being a puppy. (laughs) Exactly. What he's supposed to do right now. That doesn't mean we don't teach him to stop. Right. Um, but, but to, like, oh, this is so appropriate. Of course he's doing this, which also allows us to really reflect back delight and enjoyment and preciousness while also still holding, but we can't do this. Oh, I so. really like that you mentioned delight. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's very much one of the pillars of uh, raising secure kids. Yeah. yeah. Is being happy to see them, which yes. is really important. Yeah. But I had another thought about the puppy that is related, <laughs> uh-huh. I think, which is that, like, I can also feel myself wanting to, like, I know where I want him to get. And then when he doesn't, when he's not there, it's like, there's an impulse both ways of, you know, either overcorrecting or like, oh, I can't have him around people. You know what I mean? Like, like overcorrecting the other way of like this, I just can't deal with this. Right. He's just, he's just a bad dog. I'm not actually there, but I'm just saying I can feel it's very easy to do either one. And what's much harder and what, so what you're asking parents to do is actually harder than what's already can be in our body of either being overwhelmed and give up, you know, we we can't handle this or overcorrecting, which is this more nuanced Mm -hmm. discerning, no, the work of laddering the skills necessary for the child and scaffolding them yes. up. It's a lot of scaffolding. And knowing where the scaffold is, you mm-hmm. know, being able to have the steps be reachable. Right. But that's, it, you know, I can sense in myself, it's like, oh, I really have to train him. <laughs> you know? Like that is like every day, you know, and this is a, this is a parenting concept, right? It's every day using the learning opportunities and the connecting opportunities Absolutely. And especially, yeah, that's true about all parenting. I have a 11 year old. He's my biological kid. He doesn't have a history of complex trauma. And that's true in my house. But when I bring in a eight year old who's lived in an orphanage or lived in a, you know, deprived environment and the scaffolding needs to exist on such a totally different level. And then the complication of, in some ways, this kid's totally eight. And in some ways, this kid needs to be cared for practically like an infant. And the the confusion in that and the complexity in that. And like, there's just so many more pitfalls, I think, for parents to fall into their own shame of, I'm, I'm not good at this. Right. I'm terrible at right. this. Because they can see the behavior problems. Right. right. Or defensive, being defensive against it. And my right. kid is just bad. Right. 
So two things really quickly. We're talking about scaffolding. Yes. So we probably want to loop back around and say a little more what we mean sure. by that. Sure. Uh, but then also, so it's like a, it's building the internal structure and the different foundation, you know, places yeah. to stand, basically, yeah. kind of like a ladder. But what I love about, like, if parents can understand this idea of scaffolding, right, mm-hmm. we're not going to already be there, and, and accurately figure out, like you're saying, you know, every child is different and based on their history, yeah. their scaf- their internal bones, mm-hmm. <laughs> their scaffold mm-hmm. is going to be different. Mm-hmm. So if we can get a pretty clear picture of where they are mm-hmm. and then know, like, what is the next step, yeah. we're going to be much more likely to have delight. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Because we've gotten that, it's a, you know, are we dealing with millimeters? Yeah. And if we're dealing with millimeters and... I get my child who doesn't make eye contact to look at me for two seconds mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I can be doing a happy dance yeah. and I'm going to like cherish that two seconds, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't come for a long time versus if I don't have the scaffolding right. right. And so I'm not paying attention and I miss yeah. the whale sighting yep. of this behavior that I'm wanting to encourage yeah. because that I just think it should already be there right. or I don't have the scaffolding correct, which is going to be more likely if my own scaffolding, absolutely, you know, has some <laughs> right band aids and you know, y- yes, <laughs> things in there <laughs> broken at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Like delight. I think everything so much is actually really based on that. You know how much patience I can have. Again, like being able to depersonalize and understand. Like, oh, my kid's not bad. This kiddo doesn't have the internal regulatory capacity to make good choices on the playground for 15 minutes. You know, it's like I wouldn't put a two-year-old, you know, on a playground for 15 minutes and expect them to be safe and kind and make good choices and not get hurt. And some of my older kids have the regulatory capacities of, of toddlers. And so we have to look at what is this kid missing and how do I move in and provide that for them, not because I'm handicapping them or mm-hmm. coddling no. them, but because I'm providing yeah, the ca- the scaffolding or the co or the, the co-regulation floor, right. that, that mm-hmm. I can't, I, I have to have realistic expectations here. And it's through, through meeting that need and through providing enough co-regulation that their system will develop in the way that we're all like inherently designed to move and develop anyway. It just is really, it's just really hard. It's really hard to have an eight year old or a 10 year old or a 12 year old who needs the co-regulation of a toddler. Yes. Um, you know, so, so much of my work is just validating parents and that supporting, supporting them. them. Like mm-hmm. I kind of, I feel like a, like a huge part of my job is giving like a booster shot every week, every week they come in, they're like, Oh, we know this. I'm like, I know you know this. You just need a little mm-hmm. rah, rah to be able to get you through another week of mm-hmm. how hard this is. Hmm. Boy, isn't that true? Yeah. So that's great. And and with the adoption piece, you had mentioned like a, particularly like, you know, when you have two unrelated people mm-hmm. coming together and having to come to know one another. Yeah. It just adds another layer. of Absolutely. So Robin, it has been so fantastic for you to be here. I uh, am a big fan of your work and really have a lot of respect for what you're doing. And would you mind letting listeners know kind of some of what you offer and how to reach you? Sure. You can easily find me at my website, which is my last name, Gobel, G-O-B-B-E-L, counseling.com. 
I pretty regularly run webinars for parents. People can catch them live, but I always, all the recordings are available on my website too. I blog with somewhat regularity. I have been starting to do some more teaching and small group kind of study learning opportunities for therapists who are also interested in this same population. Well, that's fantastic. And we are, we've covered a lot of ground and I think that this was really a great conversation. And I know because I get the notes afterwards that people will really appreciate it. And, you know, this is a topic that we're going to go into more related to adult trauma and things Mm -hmm. like that. But this is, it's just so important. And we can't talk about biology and interpersonal relationships without talking about trauma and complex trauma. So thank you very much. And we really appreciate everybody listening. We Our reading group is full, gratefully, but the next big thing we have coming up is the conference April 7th with David Elliott, who is the co-author of Attachment Disturbances in Adults, Comprehensive Treatment and Repair. So we really hope you'll join us for that. I know it's going to be great. And in the meantime, if you enjoyed this, please share it with someone that you think may be interested. And the biggest thing you could do if you really want to applaud us uh, besides talking to us and just sending us a note is uh, reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. So thanks for listening and we will see you around the bin. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.